0: Be out before twelve. I can promise that. And uh, I said thirty to forty-five minutes. I was like, "But I'll be pushing for a, a good altar call because that's what's important. I mean, that's what church is all about." Amen. The presence of the Lord. You know, He doesn't come here just to just to just to put a word in someone's mouth and and uh, allow them to just talk for a few minutes. But the perp there's a there's a purpose. There's an object that is trying to be. And the object is the altar call, Amen. That is what I'm always focusing on. That's what I'm always trying to accomplish: is a good altar call. See results, and um, and and so the results are produced in the altar, Amen. I just expect God this morning, Amen, and uh, the people of God to uh, let's have a good altar call this morning. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse twenty-two. We'll read through verse 29. But ye are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. And it said the blood is speaking better things than that of Abel. Abel being the slain brother of Cain who slew him because he produced a better sacrifice than Cain. And the Bible says that his blood was speaking. But there's blood that speaks louder and better things than that of Abel. And that is the blood of Jesus, Amen. We could talk more about that at a later time, but there's a message right there. Amen. The blood of Jesus is always vouching for us. Amen. And to the blood of Sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, th- see that you refuse not him that speaketh. Don't ignore him. For if they escape if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Those that is, those that ignored him while he was on earth, they didn't escape. How do you think we're going to escape when he's talking to us from heaven above? Amen. Whose voice then shook the earth. It shook the earth. when he was speaking on earth, he shook the earth, but now he hath promised saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things, that are shaken as of the thi- as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace amen wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire amen a long passage why don't we lay down our Bibles and ask the Lord to anoint His Word, anoint our hearts to receive His Word this morning, anoint our ears to understand, minds to understand. Jesus, we need your touch, God. Pray we need, Lord, let the grace of the Lord, God, give this place. God, give grace to every hearer of the Word, including myself, God. I don't want to, the Lord, give a great amount of grace. God, to hear and receive your Word to this servant.
1: hallelujah
0: jesus hallelujah jesus hallelujah jesus hallelujah jesus oh jesus we worship you worship you hallelujah can you magnify him one more time before you're seated let's just give him praise hallelujah lord hallelujah lord thank you jesus Hallelujah, you could be seated this morning. Hallelujah, as I said, I don't intend on being uh, quote-unquote long-winded, but I do have something on my heart that I would like to share with you, Brother Lyle. Um, How many of you know Brother Lyle? Raise your hand. Elder Lyle, he's from uh, Louisiana, southern Louisiana, and uh, he said, as our charismatic friends say, he's like, I just got something I'd like to share with you. And so, I just got something I'd like to share with you this morning. Amen. I think really only Brother Lyle can get away with that, but uh, but I just did it. So, Pastor, can correct me if I'm wrong. Amen. But uh, do you have something I do want to share with you? Something that's um, that's on my heart, and and I would like to see if I can express it the way the Lord would have us today. Amen. This passage of Scripture that we just read talked about how Jesus, when He was on this earth, was reaching and. Speaking amen to those around him, and that there were certain those that were around him that were listening to what he had to say, but there was also some that were ignoring what he had to say. That that when he attempted to communicate to some, that that they ignored him, and that he wasn't effective in reaching them. That he could not he could not effectively uh, change them or or touch them in a way that would be a, that would that would help. And so I don't feel so bad, you know, whenever I get up here, me and my novice self, um, when, you know, Jesus, the best preacher of all, uh, couldn't even, there were some that he couldn't reach. Amen. So, I'll be okay. And, um, but, the Bible, but I, I can't make this claim. The Bible says that when he spoke on earth, the earth shook. When he spoke on earth, Amen. It shook, and there was a purpose for the shaking. The purpose was to see what else shook. That when he when he spoke, what, what, what was it that was in alignment with the things on this earth that when it shook, they shook. And then he went on to say that anything that shook, anything that was shaken, uh would be removed. But anything that was unmovable, anything that was St- that stood solid that was not shaken by the shaken earth amen would remain amen 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 so there's there's that tidbit of information i wanted to I wanted to start off by explaining that there's a man in the old testament amen that that uh he would i don't know how many times but countless times he would wander through a wilderness trying to find um, uh, just some patch of grass to feed his father-in-law's flock of sheep. And his object obviously was to take care and provide for, protect Jethro's sheep. Talking about Moses. When he was in the wilderness, when he when he uh, became married and lived with his father-in-law and his family in the wilderness outside of Egypt, that Joseph, that Moses' responsibility was to feed the flock of God, or the flock, the, feed the flock of Jethro. And so as he, as he wandered through the wilderness one day, no, no doubt after many, many days of doing this over and over and over, he felt like it was a mundane task that he had already done this and, and that there was nothing special about what he was doing. He wasn't expecting anything out of the ordinary. But he looked up and noticed a burning bush. And that burning bush wasn't necessarily out of the ordinary because it's, it's typical for in that area because of the dryness of the land and, and the heat in the wilderness where he was that it would just, that, that bushes would spontaneously combust and, and would be consumed in a few moments. And whatever uh, kindling was available for the fire on that bush, that would all be consumed up, and it would go away. And that bush would no longer be there. And so that was not abnormal. But what was abnormal was the, continu- the continuity of this fire, that it would continue to burn. That it didn't just consume the bush and flicker out, but it was an ongoing fire. The fire did not burn up, didn't burn out. But that bush remained on fire. And so that caught Moses' attention. And as he was wandering through the wilderness that day, he may have noticed the fire burning. And then kind of a few minutes later, as he kept walking, he just kind of looked over again. He's like, wow, that thing must be a, it's got a little bit more meat to it than it looks like. And And then just kept on wandering through and then noticed that that thing's not burning up. And so the Bible says that he turned aside to see. He he went out of his way, that that he was on a path to a certain destination, perhaps he may have known where the the best uh, parcel of ground would be, and so was on his way to that place. But the Bible says he turned aside because there was something interesting going on over here. And when he did that, the Lord spoke to him out of the bush and things started to shake. That I'm, I'm telling you that when the Lord spoke to Moses that, that this is abnormal, this is different, okay? And things on earth began to shake. Amen, but there was one man that morning, that afternoon, whatever time of day it was, that he didn't shake. That he stood there without doubt, without question, without fear, and, and, and said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Amen. As the voice of the Lord came out of the burning bush and the bush itself was shaking, amen, from the embers and the heat that was on it, amen, that it may have been shaken and the ground, amen, may have been shaken, but Moses wasn't shaken by the word of the Lord. When the word of the Lord came out of that bush, amen, he had a certain Footing. He had a he had a sure ground that he was standing on. He knew what his next step should be because he had a word from God. He was spoken to by the word of the Lord. Amen. And he was a part of something that was unmovable. Amen. He was a part of something. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things which that are shaken, as of things that are made. That those things which cannot be shaken. May remain. He intended to remain. He didn't allow. Amen. This situation. The things on earth. That were shaken. To move him. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the Lord knew that he could use him. Lord, recognize that here's a man I can use because he's not shaken. Amen. this is taking a slightly different direction than where I intended, but I'm okay with that. I, I want to let the Lord have his way this morning. Amen. But But I want to assure somebody, amen, that as the Lord, amen, steps out of heaven, amen, and into a church service and begins to speak to you. Amen. I it feels like sometimes, amen, that our entire world is coming shattering down around us. That there is no hope. That there is, that everything that we have placed our, our investments in and our time and, and our effort, amen, is coming crashing down around us. Amen. But God's looking for somebody to just plant their feet. Say, I am not moving. I've already made up my mind, amen, as we were just saying, I won't go back. I'm not gonna align myself uh, with the shaking elements of this world. I'm not gonna align myself uh, with the fragile components of life. I wanna fashion myself to something that's more secure, that's more eternal. Amen. I'm not interested in something that blows, that's tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Amen. But what I'm interested in is a foundation. Amen. That's settled. That's incorruptible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't know about you. Amen. But I'm going to set my feet on the rock. Amen. That is, that is higher. Amen. That I, that doesn't move. That doesn't change. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen! Hallelujah. So Moses stood that, that morning, that afternoon, I, I don't know why I think it's a morning, I don't know, that day was there and the Lord told him to take his shoes off. It was the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. And without fear, without question, Amen. maybe he had a little bit of fear, I would have been a little uh, nervous, I don't know, but took off his shoes and Obedience to the word of the Lord, that was the initial response, amen, to Moses' initial response to the word of the Lord was obedience. And without, and from then on, amen, that Moses continued, I mean, just to obey the word of the Lord, go to Egypt and talk to uh, Pharaoh and do this, and, and without question, amen, Moses continued to do the word of the Lord, amen, but that fire, amen, this morning, that that we're talking about, amen, the burning bush, it was a representation of, and this is why I was saying that this is not the direction that I was intending to go a minute ago because, because I want to talk about a consuming fire. Amen. I don't want to really talk about shaking something. You know, I just let the Lord speak, and, and uh, if he wants to say something, he can totally hijack this message, do whatever he wants to with that. I don't care. Amen, but what I am concerned about, amen, is making sure that his will is accomplished this morning. Amen, and friend, if you've come here this morning, I I just feel this, so I'm going to just follow this vein for a moment. But but that if you've come this morning, you feel like life is shaking, and you feel like, amen, circumstances are not as sure as you would like them to be. I mean, there is a hope. I mean, there's a sure footing. I mean, there's a rock, amen, that is available, amen, to you. Bible says that upon this rock, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's on a rock. It's a sure footing. It's a foundation. The Bible says in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, amen, that that there is a cornerstone that the church is built on. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. I wish I could remember the verse in Ephesians. Amen. But it talks about Amen that the apostles and the prophets being the foundation, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of church. What about the apostles? What about Jesus? What about the prophets? Amen. Is is. Found, is foundational, amen, to, to, the, um, to the church. I mean, what about that structure, what causes it to be so sure? What, what is it that causes the church, amen, to stand so strong without, without being affected, amen, by the winds of life? It's its foundation, amen. When I, when I worked with, um, I used to work with J.D., and Brandon and Brother Pastor Hilton, and we used to. They before I arrived on the scene, they would do uh, foundations, and before they poured the foundation, they would have to set up forms, and those forms were sometimes made of wood, sometimes they were made of metal. But those forms were there, and they weren't the structure; they weren't the foundation itself but they were an outline for where the foundation would be. And so so everywhere you saw this form, you could go out to a job site, and if these forms were already set up, you could imagine or see what the foundation would look like. Not what it looks like, but what it will in the future, what it would look like. And those forms were there. And so when the concrete truck came, they would bring a pump truck, and then they would pump concrete from the concrete truck through the pump truck into those forms all the way around and then they let it dry up cure and then rip the forms off and what remained was the foundation and um I, some you know whenever i whenever i think of the old testament prophecy the prophecies in the old testament and those that that talked about a coming messiah and and the plan of god to come amen from the old testament's perspective sometimes it was just it wasn't, it wasn't as defined as it could be, but it was just an outline. It was just the forms of where, where God was going to take this thing, where, what kind of foundation it would be. And so as you read through Isaiah and, and throughout the whole Old Testament, this book of Psalms even, sometimes the spirit of prophecy would come on, David and those that authored the book of Psalms, and, and they would just, just kind of draw an outline of where that foundation would be for the church. No detail, sometimes there was no detail provided. It was just, it was just a description, just a, a high-level description of what was to come. And then when Jesus, Jesus came along, even after the prophets. And the Bible says that, talking about Jesus said, that he, that he has been around since the foundations of the world began. So before the forms were up, before the the foundations of the world before the foundations were ever con- began in form of construction, Jesus was already here. And beneath the walls and the visible form of the foundation, there's what is called a footing or a footer. And here in Kansas, I, I looked it up a few months ago because I, I was talking about this subject and um. The footer had a, has specific dimensions here in Kansas. There's regulations that define what the footer should be, the width, the depth, how far it should be. And the purpose for all of that is to provide a strong footing or a foundation for the foundation itself. Amen. What In the olden days, they had what they called a cornerstone. That was the biggest stone in the foundation. And the whole foundation is dependent on this because it's the one least likely to move. Well, um... More modern foundations, they have what they call the footer, and it serves the same purpose, that, that it's a lot fatter, it's a lot deeper, and it, and it provides that security for the remaining part of the foundation. And Jesus is just like that footer from the foundations of the world before it ever began, and then God had a plan. He said, I'm going, I'm going to have to save mankind. I'm going to have to deliver them. And so everything that you read about in the Old Testament, when the forms were going up before the apostles ever arrived on the scene, amen. There was a foundation, there was a cornerstone, there was a footer, amen, that all this stood on. And then the walls, up, then the forms went up, and the, the the prophets talked about Messiah to come, and and uh, and the church of the living God that would be, amen. The New Testament church, and then the apostles came. And, and uh, John chapter 17, Jesus said, I'm not praying, uh, amen, for these alone, but I'm praying for everybody that believes on me through their word. In John chapter 17, amen, he said that that there's going to be some people, amen, in the future, amen, beyond the pages of the word of God as far as history is concerned, amen, beyond, amen, when the time uh, that it took to write this book, amen, was closed. When that time was passed, amen, there's going to be some people, amen, that rely on this foundation. And he said, those people, and I'm talking about us, those, and and the greater church, amen, but those people, us, that depend on the foundation for structure and support and and knowing where our sure footing is, will not fall. You know why? Why? If you're on the foundation, I mean, if you're on this foundation, amen, this foundation is what causes us to have the strength that we need. This foundation is what causes us, amen, to have the support, amen, that we need. Amen. If we veer off the foundation, if we build our house outside of the foundation, that wing of the house is going to fall. When we extend beyond this foundation. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we go outside the pages of the word of the Lord. When we try to extend ourselves and and uh, trying to explain through logic and reason. Beyond what the page, what the word of God says. We're going outside of the foundation. We're going off the foundation. And. And what we're trying to build is not going to stand for very long. It might, look, it might look nice. might look pretty. But it's not going to stand. And when the first wind co- windstorm comes through, and here in Kansas, we know, amen, what it's like to have wind. But when it comes, in fact, I know of a building, amen, that recently fell here in Kansas, amen, because it didn't have a foundation, wasn't built properly and all this, and uh, it was within this vicinity, on this property. The reason for it was it just wasn't built properly. It didn't have a foundation. Didn't have, and the wind came through and it fell apart. It just collapsed. Yeah, that's what's going to happen to our building if we don't stay on the foundation. Amen. What is the foundation? Amen. I probably should uh, look up this verse so I can use it. Give me one second. Maybe somebody could shout it out. It's in Ephesians somewhere. 2.20, thank you. You're right. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. We're all building a house. We're all part of this household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through his spirit. When we're trying to build this house, we're not just building a house so it looks pretty on the outside. We're not just building that. And, and I don't mind putting some time and effort in making it look good. I mean, it's important that we, that we try to maintain a godly appearance in all of these things. I mean, but the purpose is to create an habitation for God. The purpose is to create a house that God will live in, that God will dwell in. And you can't build that kind of a house off of this foundation. Amen. You can't build the house that God is going to live in outside of the foundation that God provided for us. Amen, we're all a part of this construction project. We're all a part of this building. Amen, we're all going to build a house, but the house that I'm interested in building, Andrew, is not just any old house where anybody can wander in and anybody can, can just, uh, well, I'll add this to the wall and I'll put this over here. No, what I'm interested in is God himself. Amen, I want him, amen, to dwell with me. hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. I, I, I will um, be closing here shortly. Amen. So, Sister Becca, you can prepare to come. Amen. But what was it that is in the foundation? When, when, uh, when the, foot, when the foot was laid, I mean, there's some things that Jesus preached when he stepped on the earth when he spoke, and as we read in our text, amen, the earth was shaken. Amen. There was a message that he preached. It wasn't, there was no uh, vagueness about it. There was no uh, question about it. It was clear. It was defined. And the message that he preached Was repentance. This is what the foundation is built on. I know pastors talked about this, but I, I just feel this right now, so I'm gonna I'm going to go this direction. Amen. But that that message of repentance is so old. People in my generation don't feel like it's really relevant. In fact, the messages that they preach are. Just come as you are. You don't have to change anything. Do what you want. Live how you want. And God loves you just the way you are. That's not, that's not what Jesus preached. The very first message that he preached. Man, when he came and met John and was baptized, the very first message after in John the Baptist the very first message that he preached was uh, the same message of repentance. In verse number 17, when Jesus heard it, he, uh, verse number 17 of uh, Mark chapter 2 says, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. When The message that John the Baptist was preaching was also repentance. The Bible says that he baptized with the baptism of repentance. But Jesus followed right up behind John the Baptist and said, I agree. We need to repent. We need to change ourselves. I'm not preaching to saved people. I'm telling you, it's it's hard to win people in, in this area. You know why? Because they're already saved. They already feel like they've got it all together. They already feel like everything's okay. And Jesus said, "I'm not. I'm not dealing with people like that." Jesus heard it. He said, uh, "They that are whole need no. No need have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. And they that are sick. Problem with my generation is that they're sick and they don't even know it." They need change, and they don't even know it. They need help, and they don't even know it. You might call yourself righteous, but that's not who Jesus said I'm coming to save. I'm not coming to save those who are already saved. I'm not coming to save the righteous. But I've come to call sinners to repentance. You know what this world needs? I know this is going to sound goofy, but we need a whole lot more sinners. Because we can't deal with all these saved people. We need a whole lot more people that are willing to admit, look in the mirror, and say, you know what? This isn't right. The way I'm living isn't right. The way I'm spending my time isn't right. The way I Receive my entertainment isn't right. Romans chapter 1 talks about a group of people. Paul was writing to the Roman church and he, and he was correcting the church. He told them, I believe it's verse 21. So, because that When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. But their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Sounds exactly like where we're at Proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that's our problem, we forgot, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. I'm sorry, this is heavy, but I I really feel this right now. I mean, we don't like to think of ourselves as the kind of people I just described. Some of these things we've even already justified and we've determined that, well, you know what? Sometimes mom isn't right. So I can disobey her in this case. Sometimes, and... And honestly, that sounds almost like a joke to us. But really, he put them in there with fornicators, wickedness, covetous, full of murder and debate, deceit. He put the disobedient children in the same category as murderers and fornicators. He put backbiters. In the same group with murderers and fornicators. In God's eyes, there are no there's no difference between talking bad about somebody and fornicating with somebody. There's no difference between disobeying mom. killing someone. There is, in his eyes, there's no difference. Who knowing, and, and we think, we, we've justified ourselves, you know, what? I, I would never, I would never do that. I would never, I would never think along those lines. I'd never ever even contemplate murdering anybody. I would never think about fornicating with anybody. I never would think about, uh, that kind of wickedness. I wouldn't do it. But the last verse says, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We live in a world now that We've justified away. We don't think that oh, I'm never. I would never be capable of committing such crime, such sin. Yeah, we turn it on on our TV, or we we'll turn it on on the internet. We'll receive entertainment from this kind of thing. Right now, I believe it's right now. I'm not sure. There's a there's a festival called the festival of the Burning Man. I think something like that going on in Nevada and what it is, just a promiscuous group of people living out their most outlandish fantasies out in public doing whatever comes to mind whatever they can think of however grotesque this is the world that we've come to but we don't Oh, I would never become a part of that group. I never would, I would never go to Burning Man. I never would do that. But it's become a world scene now. And every single year, about this time, I start seeing it pop up in my news feed. And it's a form of entertainment. And people are wondering what's gonna happen at Burning Man? What's gonna happen this year at Burning Man? What kind of junk are they gonna put on this year? Somewhere, we've got to start with this old message of repentance and find out, you know really? I'm wrong. I can't keep living this way. I can't make it to heaven and still enjoy these things and do these things. I've got to change. And the way you do that, the way you get rein yourself back in, the way you bring it all back to that foundation, to that sure footing, the way you do that is by repenting. The way you cut off that wing of the house that is suspended out in midair and and just waiting for the next strong wind to blow it away. The way you cut that off is by repenting. God, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm getting rid of that part of my life. I'm going to, this is my commitment to you. How many of you feel bad when you do something wrong i do if you feel bad when you do something wrong that is condemnation and it's good it's a good thing why does the bible then say there's now therefore no condemnation to them who are in christ because when we're in christ we ought to have no more condemnation we ought to not be doing things that would cause us to have that feeling So condemnation ought to do something for us. It ought to cause us to want to go into Christ. Go be a part of something. Be a part of what he has provided for us. So condemnation ought to produce conviction. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want to do that. That, There's something deep inside of me. I don't just feel bad about it. I don't just—I don't just feel gross and disgusted. No, it's—it's going to go beyond that, God. I—I'm convicted about this. This is going to produce a change in Jared. This is going to make a difference in me. I'm not going to just go back out there and feel the same way that I feel right now. I'm not going back out of these doors and Monday morning or Monday evening and then whenever I commit the same thing that I keep doing every single week after my prayer on Sunday morning or Sunday night. I'm not going to feel that condemnation. I'm going, there's a conviction in me that says I've got to change right here and right now but conviction doesn't allow you to walk out of those doors until you've done something about it. Condemnation will. It'll let you feel bad and, and continue to keep on and keep on doing what you're doing. But conviction's a different story. And condemnation ought to bring about that conviction. It ought to bring something about in you that I've got to get to church. I've got to. I've got to find an altar. I cannot live this way. I cannot. I cannot continue to do, doing this. And your conviction ought to pull you out of that pew and put you in one of these white altars and say, God, I'm sorry. I've got to change right now. And don't you you dare think, oh, well, that's just for so-and-so. This is for... We all have to find a place of repentance. We all have a responsibility to ensure. I have a responsibility to ensure that everything in my life is right with God. You can fool pastor. You can fool your mom. You can fool your dad. You can fool your brothers and sisters. You can fool your church family. But you cannot fool God. You can't can't get away with it. And eventually, some point, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. It's going to catch up. Something will happen. Something will transpire. And with the burden that I feel, I don't don't know how long it will be, but it could be before this day is out. I don't know about you, but it's more than just condemnation. I'm convicted, God. If that preacher would just shut up, I'd go down to that altar and talk to you. If he just in this thing, I've got something to change. I've got, I've got something to do. I've got to get to that altar. There's something, there's something I've got to do, God. I'm gonna make a commitment. And that's the next step. After condemnation, brings about conviction. The final step is commitment. There is, our generation has no idea what the term commitment means. They say one thing and then they do another. The word means nothing to them. But your word means something to him. When you come to this altar and you make a commitment, he expects you to abide by what you said. It's not, you don't have to confess anything to me. You don't have to say anything to the minute. You don't have to, this is between you and God. This is between your heart and God's heart. But when that convict you, you, conviction pulls you out of that altar and causes you to make a commitment. It's up to you now. We've got all these ideas and concepts to keep people accountable. Ways that we can check in on each other. God has a, the ultimate accountability program. That he's God. He already knows. He knows your thought before you ever thought it. The Bible says he knows your thoughts afar off. He's God. You can't pull one over on him. And you might think you have you can now why don't we all stand this morning And we need to allow the Lord to deal with us we need to respond to the word of the Lord I'm not asking you to respond to what I've said I'm asking you to respond to what God has dealt with you in your heart it's not about me and it's not really even about you. it's about obeying the word of the Lord When the Lord came into this place and spoke to you and things started to shake and you felt like, well, this area of my life is shaking and this area of my life is shaking. Is it so attached to you that you began to shake? Is it so attached to you that, oh, I can't let go of that. That's too much a part of me. That's too much a part of who I am. Or did you stand sure? Say, God, whatever... Whatever you got to do, whatever you have to change, whatever I have to change, I'm making that commitment. If you want to come down to one of these altars, you're more than welcome. I'm going to open up these altars and we're just going to pray for a little bit and ask the Lord to deal with us. Help us.